Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. Good morning. Today, brothers and sisters, I'm going to preach about adultery. And really, not just adultery, but all the other sexual sins that are connected to it, that go with it, that are related to it. Uh, Adultery is really, you can think of it as a placeholder for all kinds of sin. And I don't need to explain why I'm doing this. Our culture is drowning in sexual sin. And it is flooded into the church. It has crept into our church many times. Of course, it's always in our church. It's it's always in every church. Hiding. Secret. But it has also come out into the light many times. And it will again. And so, I'm going to remind us of three things. Of God's command... And I want to warn us of his judgment, and I want to appeal to us by his word. So first, God's command. Exodus 20, 14. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery. And that command is connected to a sanction, to a a temporal, real-world punishment in the law of God. Leviticus 20, verse 10. If there is a man who commits adultery with another man's wife, one who commits adultery with his friend's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. That is the word of the Lord. That is what God says. In God's law, adultery is in fact a crime, not just a sin, but a crime punishable by death. But we live in a time and a place that has thrown off God's law in every way. Certainly, we have thrown off God's penal sanctions in civil society. In other words, we have thrown off the death penalty for adultery and, and, and all the other penalties that God's law prescribes. We have mocked and scorned God's law We have thought that we are more uh, righteous, we are more just, we are more wise than God and his law. We claim that God's law has nothing actually to do with real life, nothing to do with crime and punishment, nothing to do with anything really except your personal private walk with the Lord. And I'm I'm not even talking about the world, I'm talking about the church. We have done this. And we have led the world in despising God's commandments. The reason the world despises God's commandments is because we despise God's commandments. We've taught them how to read the Bible. And so we and our children and our neighbors have been robbed of of a very precious gift <clears throat> we've been robbed of the restraint 
that comes from righteous laws faithfully enforced by righteous men. We no longer have the fear of punishment from the civil magistrate, the police, the judge, the the executioner even, that previous generations did have. And so we live in a cesspool of rebellion. Ecclesiastes 8.11 explains this, explains our situation. It says, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, therefore the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to do evil. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly. Well, it's not even executed at all. Here, now. And so, of course, the, sons, the hearts of the sons of men among us are given fully to do evil. Do you see how this works? When righteous laws are in place in a nation, when evil deeds, as God himself defines them, are punished as God himself requires, then guess what? Outward evil is restrained. This is how, the, this is how God's law works. And people have uh, used to understand this, and we have forgotten it. But when God's laws are thrown off, when we no longer look to God's law for definitions of crime and punishment, then as Ecclesiastes says, the hearts of the sons of men are given fully to do evil. I mean, duh. Of course. That's what happens. But here we are. Here we are in America, 2018. And so I can't warn you. I can't warn you based on the temporal threat from the civil magistrate, right? I can't say to you, do not commit adultery. Adultery in America is a crime, and there are, there's real punishment for you if, you if you commit this crime and are caught and are, and are given due process and, 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 and convicted of this crime. And, and the, the conviction could bring the death penalty. So don't commit adultery. I can't say that to you. Can I? That precious gift is gone for now. And so what do we have? Well, we have something else. Listen to God's eternal threats and warnings. So 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. About half of that list deals with sexual sin. Fornication, adultery, effeminacy, and homosexuality. And he says, Don't be deceived. Don't let anyone tell you that these things are, you know, no big deal. Those who do them will not inherit the kingdom of God. That means you won't go to heaven. 
that means you'll go to hell. Hebrews 13.4, marriage is to be held in honor among all and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. So there. Is that enough for us? Is that enough of a warning for us to flee sexual immorality? Is it enough of a threat for us to run as fast as we can from fornication and adultery? I can't bring the civil magistrate to bear. How about God's eternal judgment? Now, of course, it's not just outward fornication or adultery that deserves such judgment from God. Our Lord Jesus himself, remember his words in Matthew 5, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. These are sins that will send us to hell. That's what our Lord Jesus said. Don't let anyone tell you this is no big deal. Don't let anyone tell you that you can mess around with sexual sin, sexual sin of any type. Pornography. Making out, hooking up, sex outside of marriage, adultery, noticing the women who are walking through campus, stalking your old girlfriend on Facebook, texting your old boyfriend, homosexuality, incest, molesting children, you name it. Jesus said about these kinds of sins, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. That's what's at stake. And so there is a command, do not commit adultery. There are warnings and threats, fornicators and adulterers God will judge. And as if that wasn't enough, God appeals to us. He appeals to us. He, he gets down and looks at us and, and, and argues with us and reasons with us. He gives us examples. He gives us negative and positive examples. He pleads with us to listen and to pay attention. And one of the places he does this in his mercy in an amazing way is Proverbs chapter five. So follow along and, and listen as I read Proverbs 5. My son, give attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may observe discretion and your lips may reserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey and smoother than oil is her speech. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways are unstable. She does not know it. 
Now then, my sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not, do not go near the door of her house or you will give your vigor to others and your years to the cruel one. And strangers will be filled with your strength and your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien. And you will groan at your final end when your flesh and your body are consumed. And you will say, how I have hated instruction and my heart spurned reproof. I have not listened to the voice of my teachers nor inclined my ear to my instructors. I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. Drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. His own iniquities will capture the wicked, and he will be held with the cords of his sin. He will die for lack of instruction, and in the greatness of his folly, he will go astray. This is the word of the Lord. Now, the book of Proverbs is obviously, as we read it, written to young men. More specifically, King Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs to teach his sons how to be good kings. Much of what we read in Proverbs has a, has a particular bearing on men who are leaders or who will be leaders. But obviously its wisdom applies to men in general and to women. But you young men especially, listen very carefully, he's talking to you. Verse one, my son, give attention to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding. Give attention, incline your ear, listen to me. And so young people, listen. Your parents and the older people in your life have wisdom. They have wisdom. They have understanding. And we have wisdom and understanding oftentimes because we ourselves were foolish when we were your age. And so our wisdom was bought at a very heavy, bitter price. Whatever wisdom we have. As a young man, I was an utter fool. I was an utter fool. And I did foolish and destructive and wicked things, many of which I still suffer from. Many of your parents did foolish and, and destructive and wicked things. And we have gained wisdom and understanding at a bitter price. You don't have to pay the bitter price to get the wisdom. All you have to do is listen. This is certainly the case with King Solomon. He had wisdom, 
But much of his wisdom and understanding came from his own personal experience of sin, a bitter personal experience of sin. He says of himself in in Ecclesiastes 7.26, he said, I discovered more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are chains. One who is pleasing to God will escape from her, but the sinner will be captured by her. He discovered this himself. The chains, the bitterness of sexual sin. The sinner will be captured by her. And let me tell you this, King Solomon was captured by her. King Solomon was captured by many women who were wicked. And he let himself be captured by them, you understand. He was not a victim. Listen to what he says, or what Scripture says about him. 1 Kings 11 says this, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, You shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you, for they will surely turn your heart away after their gods. They will surely turn your heart away after their gods. Uh, This is almost a joke. It's not funny, but it's kind of a joke among pastors. When a man comes up and says, you know, pastor, I, you know, I don't know, I've been thinking about, this is a Christian, grown up in the church, you know, I've been thinking about, I'm just not sure if I really believe that stuff anymore. I don't know. And what's the first question from the pastor? Oh, what's her name? What's her name? Really? Or what's his name? You shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you, for they will surely turn your heart away after other gods. It says, Solomon held fast to these in love. He had 700 wives. It only takes one. But he had 700 princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned his heart away. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. For Solomon went after Ashereth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the detestable idol of the Amorites, Ammonites. Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not follow the Lord fully as David his father had done. And you think, oh, that'll never happen to me. Solomon was David's son. And it happened to him. And so listen, young people. Don't be fools. Don't think, well, hey, you know, I've heard, I've heard stories from my dad or my mom, and I know that, uh, you know, They did all kinds of foolish and stupid things when they were young, and they turned out pretty good. They turned out okay. You know, what's what's the big deal? Well, here's the thing. No, they didn't turn out okay. Your mom and your dad, young people, did not turn out okay. 
I didn't turn out okay. We who lived in the lusts of our flesh and rejected the wisdom of God did not turn out okay. We have scars and wounds. We are haunted by the memories and the shame of the sins of our youth every day. Aren't we? You guys, you know this. None of us would say, yeah, hey, you know, hey, yeah, you know, it was worth it. So King Solomon said to his sons, give attention to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding, listen to me. Why? He says, that you may observe discretion and your lips may reserve knowledge. Now notice what he, what he, where he goes immediately. He's going to be talking about sexual sin, but he starts talking about our words. He says, if you listen to me, then your lips will reserve knowledge. He's about to warn you and plead with you about adultery and sexual sin, but he starts with wisdom and words. Because here's the thing, you will talk about evil before you do it, or you will entertain talk about evil before you do it, or you will let talk about evil entertain you before you do it. So many of you young people and not so young people are willing to talk about evil things as if they're funny, and that completely rejects and and disobeys the command of God. Here's what God says in Ephesians 5, but immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints, and there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting. This is all, what he's talking about there is sexual jokes, dirty jokes. He says, these are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. What you say, how you talk, what you listen to, it really is important. This is a command of God. Both wisdom and wickedness start with your words. And speaking of words, look at what he says in verse three. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey and smoother than oil is her speech. This is the way temptation always works. It, it, it's, it's extremely plausible, it's extremely attractive, sweet, smooth. It's especially the way sexual temptation always works. Oh, it'll be sweet, it'll be amazing, it'll be fulfilling, it'll be freeing, it'll be liberating. But verse four, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood, Sharp as a two-edged sword, her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold of Sheol, the grave. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways are unstable. She doesn't know it. Bitter, sharp as a sword, death, the grave. That is the reality. It looks sweet, but it's bitter. It looks alive and vibrant and free, but it's dead. Dead. Verse seven, now then my sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep her, keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Forget about going in the house. Don't even go near the door. Don't even go near the door. Don't even get close. Don't 
Don't even start flirting with it. The line is not drawn at going in the door. The line is drawn at going near the door. What are the applications of that? All the things that we do, that we know, that's where I'll be tempted. Looking at that, listening to that, remembering that, thinking about that, watching that, navigating to there. Romans 13, 14, the Apostle Paul says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Make no provision for the flesh. That means don't feed it. Don't encourage it. Don't flirt with it. Don't strengthen it. Kill it. Through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you and yourself cannot resist sexual temptation. You cannot do it. Stop fooling yourself. You are not strong enough. You're not sophisticated enough. You're not wise enough. Wisdom doesn't go close to the door. Wisdom runs. Strength doesn't go close to the door. Strength runs. We were talking in staff meeting the other day about the dangers with our young people of certain things on the internet and apps on their phones and stuff like this. And uh, we were talking about the dangers of Instagram and Snapchat and many of our young people, probably all of our young people, this is our assumption, all of you young people use those platforms and you use them as if there's no danger and we, your parents, let you use them as if there is no danger because we're stupid. I mean, we're wise. But we're stupid. And Nathan Alberson informed us that Instagram is a lust factory. That it's calculated, it's a sin machine that anticipates and feeds and deepens your lusts. You take one click at something, it'll feed you more, but worse. And many of you young people are using that, and, and you parents, this, actually there's gonna be a meeting about this sometime soon, to talk about this with the youth and the parents of the youth. The Holy Spirit says through King Solomon, don't even go near the door of her house. Don't even go near the door. Why? Verse nine, or you will give your vigor to others and your years to the cruel one and strangers will be filled with your strength and your hard-earned goods will go down or go to the house of an alien and you groan at your final end when your flesh and your body are consumed and you say, how I have hated instruction and my heart spurned reproof. I have not listened to the voice of my teachers nor inclined my ear to my instructors. I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and the congregation. No one tells you that if you look at pornography, you will become a weak, pitiful man. It's not how they sell it, but it's true. You will. No one tells you that if you refuse to discipline and kill your lusts, you will ruin your life and ruin your marriage, 
but you will. No one tells you that if you call your parents and your pastors stupid or harsh or ignorant or old-fashioned that you'll ruin yourself, but you will. Listen to these pitiful words. These will be your words. How I have hated instruction and my heart spurned reproof. I have not listened to the voice of my teachers nor inclined my ear to my instructors. I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly in the congregation. I heard it over and over again and I hated hearing it every time. I hated it when they warned me. I hated it when they rebuked me. I hated, hated it when they taught me. I would not listen to them. And now look at me. My life is ruined. And I sat there in church as they taught me. And I sat there in youth group as they instructed me and warned me. I sat there around the dinner table as my dad warned me. And I hated it. And now look at me. I sit here in church in the midst of the assembly, in the midst of the congregation. I have lived a double life, nursing my secret sins, and now I am ruined. And my marriage is ruined. And by the way, these are not the words of repentance. This is the what he calls the groan at your final end when your flesh and body are consumed. There's no hope in these words. These are the last words of the sorrow that leads to death. These are the bitter words you will chew on forever in hell as you remember every rebuke, every sermon, every warning that you hated that you brushed off. That's what these words are. They're bitter words. And you can ask any man or woman here who has given in to their sexual lusts if it was worth it. Find them and ask them, was it worth it? Every adulterer, every fornicator, every molester, every porn addict, death, Bitterness, pain, regret, ruin. So brothers and sisters of every age, listen to God's warnings and God's pleas. He's pleading with us. He's warning us. But that's not the end of the chapter. There is a real sweetness, a real life, a real exhilaration that will not end in bitterness and death and regret. There is a real satisfaction that is absolutely worth pursuing and waiting for and giving yourself to. Verse 15, he says, drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. That is a, that's a picture of true fulfillment, true satisfaction. The adulteress, the porn star, the Instagram post, the prostitute, the girlfriend or boyfriend, all make this promise but cannot in any way deliver. He's talking about the lifelong satisfaction of sexual intimacy in marriage. Verse 16, 
Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? Just all over the place? Let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. You see this? God has joy for you. Not in the little muddy stream of sewage that runs through the gutter that a million other men have looked at or slept with. For everyone to step in and spit in and spoil, God has sexual joy for you in marriage. He says, rejoice in the wife of your youth. And yes, that is the norm to pursue, the wife of your youth. Not the wife of your middle age. One of the reasons we are so awash in sexual sin is because we forget that it says rejoice with the wife of your youth. One of the reasons God gave us the gift of marriage is to help us fight against, to fight against and resist wicked sexual temptations. 1 Corinthians 7, 2. But because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife and each woman is to have her own husband. Or verse 9, 1 Corinthians 7. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And so if you're tempted with immorality, if you burn with passion, what does the Apostle Paul say? What does the Holy Spirit say? Get married. And if you're not worth marrying, then grow up. Make yourself, by God's grace, someone worth marrying, and then go find a wife or find a husband. And don't blame anyone. Don't blame anyone else. It's not anyone else's fault. It's not the uh, men, it's not the, the fault of this vast um, feminist conspiracy that you don't have a wife. And you're just the poor little victim who just can't, you know, they're just all out to get me. Well, yeah, no wonder you don't have a wife. You know? Go find a wife, go find a husband. There are plenty of good and godly men and women out there, not perfect ones. If that's what you're looking for, forget it. Because no, she won't be perfect and he won't be perfect. You're a sinner and he or she is a sinner. And yes, it'll be hard. People say, you shouldn't get married young because it'll be hard. <laughs> yeah, as if getting married later is easy, right? Listen, the, the longer you wait, the more set you are in your ways. Have you ever known an old bachelor? How does that work when he decides to get married finally? But they'll say, hey, you shouldn't get married because when you're young, because it'll be hard. Well, not nearly as hard as the bitterness and the bile and the death of a life of sexual sin. Oh, let me tell you, that's, that's infinitely harder. And it's a bad heart, not a good one. So get married. And once you're married, men, he says, 
Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Find her delightful. Find her beautiful. Find her a blessing from God. And yes, by the command of God, find her sexually attractive. Verse 19. As a loving hind and a graceful doe. Those are beautiful little deer-like things, okay? (laughs) Read the Song of Solomon, you'll get it. Uh, Let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. Look at this. These are commands to every married man. Every married man. This is a command to you, to me. Let her breast satisfy you at all times. Her, not someone else, but her. You are not a victim to your sexual attractions. You can't say, you know, I just, I'm just not attracted anymore. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? No, this is a command of God. And God gives what he commands. You are, in fact, in control of what you want and who you're attracted to. This goes both ways with men and women. And if you're married, you have, your choices are extremely limited. <laughs> you have one choice. You must be attracted to your wife. There is no choice, actually. This is a command. You must be attracted to your wife. You must be attracted to her particular body. And look at what he says. He says, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. God invented sex. He made it as a part of this good creation. He made it. He made it good. It is beautiful and sweet and truly satisfying when done in obedience to his ways. This word satisfy means filled up or quenched or sated, right? I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty, I've been working, I come inside and I drink, you know, a gallon of water. That's what the word means. Filled up, satisfied, quenched. And this word exhilarated actually means drunk, intoxicated, so filled up that you can't possibly take another drink. That is how our marriages should be. That is what your marriage can be. That is the remedy for your sexual desires. Find a wife, love her, delight in her, be satisfied in her, get your fill from her. Men, wives, that kind of, that has something to do with you too, doesn't it? You don't want your husband's uh, looking at pornography. I'm not in any way saying this is your fault. Hear me? But it's connected, isn't it? And he ends with another appeal and a warning. Verse 20. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated? There's that word again. Why should you be exhilarated with an adulteress? (laughs) 
Things that are illegal, illicit, forbidden, are always more exhilarating. But he's saying, this is insane. Why should you? Why should you be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. Think of that. All of us, think of that. There are things we would never dream of doing uh, if our husband is watching, if our wife is watching, if a child was watching, if a complete stranger was watching. All kinds of things we would never dream of doing, right? But what's it say? The ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. Oh, we don't care about that. I don't care about that. Verse 22, his own iniquities will capture the wicked. And he will be held with the cords of his sin. Are you captured by your sexual wickedness and held with the cords of your sin? That's what it's like, isn't it? Well, there's good news for you, if that's you, because Jesus came to set the captives free. That's what he came for. Luke 4, he says this of himself, quoting the Old Testament, quoting Isaiah, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, including you including the cords of this sin. He has set me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. He has made a way of escape for you. I think very often we don't want it. We don't want it. Are you unrighteous? Are you a fornicator, an adulterer, effeminate, a homosexual? Well, there's good news for you. Those are all sins from that list in 1 Corinthians 6, and here's how it goes. Or don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. God will wash you in the precious spotless blood of Jesus. And I know you've heard that a hundred times, probably, but it's true. It's true. He will wash you in the precious blood of Jesus. He will sanctify you by his Holy Spirit and give you power over your sin. It's what it means to be sanctified. God will declare you righteous in his sight by putting your sins on Jesus and putting Jesus' righteousness on you. That's what it means to be justified. That's what cancels the power of sin. 
What else are you going to do? What other hope do you have? Try harder? If you don't repent and embrace the promises of Jesus, you will die in your sins. And these particular sins are some of the most deadly. That's what scripture says. Let me close with these words from God in Ezekiel 18, again, pleading with us. He says this, cast away from you all your transgressions which you have committed, get rid of it, cast it away, and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die? You know this is killing you. Why, do you, why would you die? Why do you want to die? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord. Therefore, repent and live. Repent and live. Let's pray. Father, have mercy on us. Let us hear your commands, your warnings, your threats of judgment, but also let us hear your appeal and your, your, your reasoning and your begging. And let us repent and live. I pray, Lord, for the young people here who are just now beginning to be trapped by the cords of these, of these sins. Lord, free them from it. Let them turn to you for help. Let them turn to their parents and their pastors, their moms or dads, youth leaders, everybody. Let them turn and find help for this. And I pray for those who are old and who have hidden their sins for years and years, who have nursed them, who have um, called a truce with them. And I pray that you would give them, give us, all of us, the strength and the humility to fight against this sin. I pray for our marriages. I pray that our men would delight, that we all would delight in our wives, that we would strengthen our delight in them, and that our wives, Lord, would work to have marriages that are sweet. Lord, have mercy on us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.